0: Thank you so much, Susan, for that awesome testimony. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 20. I'm going to continue with that same theme, Acts chapter 20. And we're going to camp there on on verse 24. This is the Apostle Paul. He's about to leave. And he's giving his farewell address to the Ephesian elders. Ephesus was a place of unbelievable corruption. In fact, um, we could compare New Orleans to Ephesus pre-Katrina New Orleans. It was a place of witchcraft. It was a place of pagan worship. It was a place of temple prostitution. It was this incredibly, incredibly corrupt and twisted culture. Yet the apostle Paul, as as Susan says, some of you remember from Acts chapter nine, he was on his way to Damascus to throw people in jail and to kill people who simply said, "I believe that Jesus is Lord." That's it. They weren't trying to ruin anybody's picnic. They they had come to the place so they had heard the gospel, and God had penetrated their heart, and they said, "I believe that. I'm in. I'm a follower of Jesus." And he was so filled... I don't know if you've ever known anyone who's had religious hatred before. We see a lot of it on the news, don't we? People killing other people in the name of, of religion or in the name of faith. Then the Apostle Paul, can you imagine being in that mind frame? Imagine you're going to a city... To persecute, imprison, and kill people because they have a different form of belief than you, and you actually believe that what you're doing is the very will of God. Let that sink in. If you and I actually believed that that was what God desired, and then on the way, there's this bright light, there's this voice, You fall off of your horse. You're on the ground. No one else hears anything. His voice says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I would have probably said what he did. Who are you, Lord? Don't you think that would be a good time to address the voice and the light that is just throwing you off your horse as Lord? Amen? Like a little bit of humility. And then the voice says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Put on the brakes. At that point, you and I, if we're Saul, we think that we're actually doing God's utmost. we were getting an A++++ plus in Jewish Bible Sunday school. Right? Like we brought our Torah every time we prayed. But it was at that moment that you realized that everything that you had believed to be true in your life all of a sudden got turned completely on its head and then you're blind and this bad to the bone guy Saul who took names and did other things that was his life had to be led by the hand into the city And he was led into the city. He was put in this house. And can you imagine? You're there and your world has absolutely been rocked. Everything has been turned upside down. And then something that you don't know that's happening at the same time is the Holy Spirit comes to a man named Ananias. In a vision, and the Holy Spirit says, Ananias, there's this guy who just came into your city. Saul. I know that doesn't mean a lot for us because most of us have never been persecuted for being Christians, right? I mean, some of you maybe have been whipped as little kids when you misbehaved in church afterwards by your mom. We've never been persecuted for being followers of Christ. Imagine if the Holy Spirit came to you and we were in that situation where we were being hunted like animals and said, the number one guy who's trying to kill you and people like you is here in the city. Freak out mode, right? Maybe? Possibly? And then God says, I want you to go see him. It's like, God, can I get a second opinion? Are y'all tracking with me this morning? Right? Like, go see him. That's putting myself not only in the line of fire, I'm getting the muzzle of the gun, putting it between my eyes and helping him pull the trigger. Lord, are you serious that this is what you want me to do? The Holy Spirit said go. So you know what Ananias did? He went. And when he went in, he didn't do what some of us would do if we found our greatest enemy down for the count, could not see. He didn't raise the sword of revenge and take the head off the dragon. He went over and he laid his hands on Saul's head. Let this think, let, let it sink in. It very well could have been that Ananias had friends or family members that Saul could have very well thrown into prison or even killed. But you enter in and you see your enemy vulnerable without a defense. Maybe those words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 are going through Ananias' mind, where Jesus said, love them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. It's like that, that doesn't even make sense, but he went there and he placed his hands On Saul's head and he said, brother, Saul. God gave Saul back his sight. He was baptized. And you saw the world absolutely turned around. A few years later, Saul, who was now Paul, was going into all of these places and just preaching Jesus. And he went to this place called Ephesus. And When we think about India and the challenges there and, and the Hinduism and all sorts of things, and just the brutality that Susan can go into a lot more detail, which I encourage you there 's going to be something set up here in the vestibule um, with like what she described you, please go back there and get the prayer card, get the information to begin praying about um, what she 's going to do. but I, just imagine going up to this place, Ephesus, and you see this pagan temple to Diana or Artemis this and you go in and you 're just like lord i 'm a little short guy, and i 've just been saved a few years and but he went in and he began to teach Jesus in Ephesus that's like that's like going we're not going to have a show of hands all right if you've ever been to bourbon street and you kind of look around and you think there's a little bit of sin here I'm not going to ask for an amen, because then you're going to think people, when you say amen, that they thought you went there and you enjoyed it, you know, and you were there at Mardi Gras, letting it all, you know, but imagine, like, going to a place like that, it was totally lascivious, totally perverted, totally twisted, from top to bottom, the culture was pagan to the core, but Paul goes there, and he begins to preach Jesus, and some of these hardcore, twisted, perverted, pagan people hear the gospel, and they get saved. Well, I mean, and then when they get saved, they all gather into a group and they meet every week and they begin to study more of the Scriptures and pray together. And they have this thing called the Church of Ephesus. It's in modern day Turkey. And then it's growing so large to the extent that we come to Acts chapter 20. And here Paul is. He's going to Jerusalem. He's going into the lion's mouth and look who he calls. Verse 17, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Notice what he says. He says in verse 18, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Testifying both to the Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained. If you want to make a note in your Bibles, out that, that word there uh, literally means to bind or to tie up, meaning that he was close with the Lord. Not notice this. He says, "I'm constrained by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem." What's it say? Not. Knowing Americans not knowing what will happen to me there except so here's the good news that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me amen anybody want to sign up he's like look guys y'all know me I knew when you were pagans you guys know my story I've got tons of baggage but the Lord's taking care of that we were all once pretty messed up Jesus has saved us here's what I got Holy Spirit's telling me to go to the capital city. It's kind of like an Ewok trying to take on a Death Star, right? For some of you Star Wars fans out there. Like going into the lion's mouth. I don't know exactly what's going to go down, but I do know this. In every city, including there, imprisonment and afflictions await me. Stop. If God comes to you, and He just shakes your world, and says, I've got something I want you to do. I've got a mission for you. And all I'm going to give you at this point, I'm not going to give you your American itinerary. We've got our planners, right? got our iPhones with the calendars. We've got you know the little moleskin. You ever see them, right? Like the moleskin planners. Like, I'm, I'm tough stuff. I've got a moleskin planner. I plan in moleskin. I'm cool, right? We've got all of these things and these plans and so forth. But God comes to you and he says, here's all I'm going to give you. When you go do what I tell you to do, they're going to throw you in jail and you're going to be afflicted. What would most of our reactions be? You know what my reaction would be? Lord, I need to, and I'm not even trying to be funny. I'm, Lord, let me pray about this a little more. Right? Let me just see if I've not been, you know, watching too many, hearing too many sermons or. Um, or, like watching sappy movies or something i don 't watch sappy movies, but I mean sometimes people can come to us, and often in our culture, when God calls us to do something that may be uncomfortable, we automatically say that 's not for me it 's a cultural thing notice notice in verse twenty four and we 'll try to unpack this. This is where the bulk of our message lies verse twenty four but I do not. Account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. Here's what it is: to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 25, he says, "Now behold, look. I know that none of you among that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming this kingdom of God. Here's where he hits home." will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. When I began to look at this passage of Scripture several years ago, it was like the Lord began to just turn the guns of His Word and say, Jeff, do you consider your life too valuable to risk for the Gospel? I think a lot of times in, in our culture today, I'm very thankful to be an American. Please don't take this as any type of a slam against our country, alright? But I think it's very easy for us as Americans to take in this worldview that life is about us. Has anybody noticed that lately? Maybe? It's about our happiness, it's about our wealth, it's about our comfortability but have you also noticed how profoundly unhappy so many of us are? And then when you compare that often to areas of the world that may have Jesus, but they don't have as much stuff as we do, and they seem to be so much more satisfied with life, and they look at us and they say, we well, have all that stuff. Why are you on antidepressants? And why are you stressed out? And why are you down? And why are you depressed? And why are you angry? And why do you fight? It's because often we receive this cultural lie that says our lives are for us and we gain happiness and fulfillment by accumulation. So when we read the Bible, it's the reverse. The way that we have true joy is we give it away. It begins in that first step of faith like Susan was talking about where she gave her life to Jesus to where you say, Lord, it's not just my my job or this or that. It's I need to give myself to You. And it's like that existential leap of faith. And we say, God, I'm giving myself to You. And He comes in and He takes control. And I'm telling you, it's a freeing thing not to have to live to where you are in absolute and complete control of your life. May God free us from the freak. A control freak complex. Have you ever been on a, uh, let's say, a vacation with a control freak? Anybody? All right. And you're going to go on the vacation to do what? Max and relax. Not with the control freak. You're going to have an order. You get up at this time. Everything's like broken down to like 24-minute segments. and It's just like we can't rely because we've got to be in control. I'm telling you, the most freeing thing in the world is not being reckless, but taking a risk to say, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need you. It's not just that I need to start coming to church. I need to give my life to you. And you step forward and you say, Jesus, I'm giving it to you. You're giving control to the one who is in control. We should never let anybody be confused about the facts. Well, if you get saved, or if you go on a mission trip, you know, or if you go uh, to India for a year, or if you go on a month-long mission trip, or if you go do some missions uh, down in like um, the the deep part of, of Roanoke, some really rough areas there. Oh, that's kind of being crazy. It's giving up control. Well, here's something that I do know. There's so much that I don't know. Can I get an amen? Right. Like every day I live, I'm like. Dude, you're pretty dumb. Like, compared to all the scope of knowledge and all of it. But here's the thing. I do know that Jesus has risen from the dead. It is true. It actually happens. It's a historical event. And because of that, I can trust the words that Jesus said. Jesus told me, He told us, to go into how much of the world? Help me out, church. All the world, right? All the ethnicities, all the nations. And when you get there, you make disciples out of all of them. And then it's after that that He says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. When we are in obedience to Christ, He promises to take care of us. Let me give you several things. Several points. Number one, taking risks is synonymous with obedience. Taking risk is synonymous with obedience. Number two, Taking risks can mean the loss of personal comfort and closeness, can mean the loss of personal comfort for closeness with Christ. Some of you who've been saved for a while, you remember that time to where God kind of stretched you? And He began to, to allow things in your life that seemed to be like, Lord, I, I think you said you were in control, but I'm not really sure. This seems to be kind of sketchy. I didn't think that the family would shape out like this. I didn't think that I did not foresee what would happen in the economy. Lord, I don't know if You are in control. And often when God wants us to take risks, it is doing it with obedience. And often we find that when we take risks for the Lord, that we come in closer comfort with Him. Because when we exit our safety comfort zone, we have to walk in faith. That's why I am included this on your bulletin if you got one this morning. Hudson Taylor, um, pioneer missionary to China, said this, Unless there is an element of risk in our exploits for God, there is no need for faith. Let's read that again. Unless there is an element of risk in our exploits for God, there is no need for faith. Zig Ziglar said this, One person with conviction is worth more than a hundred with only an interest. I believe what the Lord is doing in Rocky Mount Baptist Church as we heard last week. I was able to give a few words at the end, but last week we had some throw-down testimonies. Can I get a witness in the house this morning? it did a great job it 's just like seeing the Lord change lives, everything from lindsay 's epic I mean smash on the soccer field to you know uh, everybody 's being able to meet these kids in Costa Rica and work with these i mean just like poverty and it 's just amazing to see what the Lord is doing and then inevitably the the question comes of saying, oh no, hold on, Jeff, hold on we 're talking about all the nations but But what about people here? You know, something that I've found in my own life and talking with other people is that when we obey Jesus' words to go to Jerusalem, Rocky Mount, Judea, the surrounding areas, and the other most parts of the earth, when we go there, we come back with a passion for here. Amen? It all works together. And I've known some people in churches who say things like, well, it costs a lot of money to go on mission trips. I try to be filled with the Spirit, but I'm like, it costs a lot of money for you to go on your nice vacations. Everybody okay? This is the way a lot of... Sometimes people may not verbalize this. Hold on, hold on. It costs like... And this is actually a very cheap trip. Go to Costa Rica, like $1,200, $1,300, bucks $1, something like that. Oh, well, couldn't we use that money for... I've found, I've talked to other ministers about this, that churches who don't go on mission trips to reach people not like them, pretty much do a terrible job at reaching people who are like them. It's true. Find me a church that is interested in people who cannot return the favor. People who cannot give to their own budget. People who cannot travel here. People who can't give anything to us other than the love of Christ. Christ. When you go and you minister to who the people Jesus said are the least of these, we do it unto Jesus. So if we do that, He's going to take care of us here. But there can be the lie in the church mindset today that says, well, what we need to do, we need to look out for those middle class couples who have two incomes and are going to be good churchmen and good churchwomen. They're going to come, they're going to sit, they're going to soak, they're going to tithe, we're going to meet budget, and so forth. And the whole time, it just makes me ill. Because if that is what it's about... I don't think this is for me. In fact, if that's what it's about, Christianity is not for me. Are we okay this morning? if it's all about getting people to surround myself to tell me how good I am and to pay the budget that pays my salary, that just gives me chills. It's, it's terrible. But man, when we're able to minister to people who are down and people who don't have money or jobs or people who are depressed, man, it's one of the most amazing things in the world. And our team, like when you do that over there or when you, some of you, you minister to people here, you find people and you encourage them and you witness to them. You bring them to church. You get fired up. Because you're doing what Jesus told you to do. A lot of risk takers in the Bible. Number one, Noah. Noah took a risk. Imagine God said, build the boat. Noah did what? Built the boat. Before it rained. Grab onto that one. For 120 years. There's somebody like, hold on, Jeff. How can you even live for 120 years? It's a lot different if you want to. We have stuff on the website that link to the scientific arguments. I know our thinkers are already going in that direction. So just go to our Got Questions page and uh, eat your heart out. It's good stuff. So he was like, imagine for 120 years, people are like, wow, nice boat, Noah. Can't wait till you launch it on the... Wait, there's not one, right? Like, it's, you know, but he took a risk and God came through for him. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? The ones who would not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's 90 foot tall statue for himself. I just gotta say, stepping back from cultural relativism, that's a little bit strange. Like, I, I even if I were in a different life, how weird would that be to have a 90 foot statue, golden statue of me? I know it would be awesome to have a 90-foot statue of Fred and Gold, but like, I mean, just just imagine like how weird that would be. You get up in your in your castle and your 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 kingly abode, and you look at it, and you're like, oh yeah. That looks good. It's like a big statue. It's like what? And they wouldn't bow down. So he said, "All right, I'm going to burn you alive." It's like, whoa, easy, psycho. He puts them in the furnace, and the Lord is there with them, brings them out. He repents. I think of Esther in Esther chapter four, verse sixteen. All of the Jews were going to be murdered, mass genocide, and she decides to go talk to the king to see if he will give her. And she says, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa. And hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night and day. And I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And I love this. Ladies, this should be like hardcore. Like woo woo, Like represent for hard. Okay. She says, And if I perish, I perish. You know what she's saying? I'm willing to give my life for people who need me to stand up for them. Proverbs chapter 24 spells out blessings for those who hold back those who are stumbling towards slaughter. I pray that God would break our hearts for all of the children who are being aborted. It's a sad day when that issue hardly even comes up in politics anymore. And I'll leave that one for another sermon. Paul, Acts chapter 14, when he was stoned, They stoned him until they thought he was dead. Is he dead? I don't know. Throw another one. Just make sure. Drug him outside the city. Left him for dead. Next day the Lord gives him some type of supernatural uh, healing. Guess where he goes? This is awesome. He goes back to the city. Go read about it in Acts chapter 14. You're like, Paul, no. They just stoned you. I mean, we know you've been beat up and you've been, you know, but, but don't, don't go back. He went back in the city. And I don't think that, that Paul was like me. Sometimes I can get in the flesh. I mean, I would want to go back into the city, you know, and be like, God's man's still here. What's up? But I don't think that he did that. Alright, it's not in here. It's just, you know, fleshly response. And, you know, but, but he went back. He took a risk. I think about Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, when the council put him in prison and said, you will not speak in the name of Jesus. I love this. This is so good. Peter and John answered him, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, but we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In other words, we are not quitting. We're not shutting up. We give you this quote by Philip Brooks. He said, do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger people. Do not ask or pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Then the doing of your work shall be no miracle, for you shall be the miracle. Every day you shall wonder at yourself and the richness of your life which has come to you by the grace of God. And I pray that God creates in us a culture in Rocky Mount Baptist Church that says we're not going to be foolish with finances, we're going to be wise, but we are willing to take God at His Word and that we would get serious about reaching people in Franklin County, say we're going to go out, we're going to witness in town, my friend who may live way out in Indicott or in Firm or wherever it is, I'm going to go and I'm going to win them because when Jesus says that blessings come, it's always through obedience. And the risk that we take always shows our values. You parents, I'm sure you would risk anything for your children. Why don't we just make it our prayer today to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? God, as best you give me your strength, I will obey. And the safest place is found in the midst of obedience in the center of God's will.